Today on the podcast, I am talking to Gretchen Carlson. She was named as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. And she's the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Be Fierce and Getting Real. Carlson is one of America's most successful news anchors and a globally recognized advocate for women's empowerment. Today, we talked about Gretchen's top five favorite women in broadcast journalism. I got to hear about some of my favorites, and I also got to learn about women I wasn't familiar with before. It's a really interesting conversation about what it takes to come up in a male-dominated industry, and I hope that you find this chat as fascinating as I did. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is your Faves Faves. So they never tell me what the category is because I think it's fun to be surprised and learn about what you're passionate about. So what is your top, what is the category of your top five list? Well, thanks for having me, Rachel. Um, So you go into this cold, I guess. In the the TV world, which I'm very adept at, that would be very risky. But I, I I love that you do it this way so that you're also surprised. Well, I have so many interests and so many passions and it's very hard for me to decide, but I decided to choose my top five females in television who were breaking barriers. Oh, I love this list. Okay, great. And my favorite my favorite thing about this show is that people have such a wealth of knowledge in really unique spaces. Obviously, this is something that is uh, near and dear to your heart, given your career. But I feel like not only me, but listeners are also going to learn about it as well. So the question I always follow up with is, is your top five list a collection or is it like ascending into the number one pick? Oh, no, no, there's no, um, I wouldn't want to do that to my female colleagues. (laughs) There's no hierarchy here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. And I wouldn't want to rank them by age either. Right, right. (laughs) Okay. So then who is the first person on your list? Well, so the first person is going to be Joan Rivers. Uh, Joan Rivers. Yeah. I mean, just one of the most talented females ever to grace television screen or any stage. And I always admired her from afar. And then when I got to know her and interview her countless times, I realized, wow, this woman is a hard worker. Mm. So just to put it in perspective, she used to come on, on the live shows when I was doing you know, CBS News and then, and then Fox News. And she was the most prepared guest ever. She would come and write all of her jokes that morning and she would write them in pencil. I'll never forget that. She would write them on a, you know, scribble them on a piece of paper. And she was by far the most funny guest that we, you know, that we ever had. And she was just so well prepared. And I think about what an icon she was as the first female to host a late night comedy show as well. And uh, obviously she left us too soon, but she was so gracious too. Uh, she, when she would come on the show, she'd be like, "Hey, come to my comedy show," and and she'd get, she'd say, "Invite some friends," and she would give me the tickets and feed me dinner, and <laughs> you know, and we would laugh. And and so, I just think that she really paved the way for women and broke so many barriers in so many different ways. 
Well, and I think she's one of those people that that I don't know that the public fully understands truly how savvy she was in business and how hard she worked. And I'm trying to think if it was a show or a documentary that I saw. I mean, she was still touring. She was still going out and doing shows. All she worked constantly, which was was so amazing. Okay. Remember that in the documentary, I don't know if you remember this, but she had like a, a card catalog system of all of her, contacts right it like reminded me of going to the library when I was a kid right before before we got the internet and our kids my kids will never even know what I'm talking about but yeah she just was so organized and and had this drive and I, I try to explain to my kids all the time who are teenagers now that you know you can teach some drive but a lot of drive is innate and mm. I'm so happy that I was also born with that fire in my belly because it keeps me going on good days and bad days. And I wake up every morning and I have to be optimistic because that fire is there. Okay, I'm going to accomplish something today. And and that's who she was. And that's why I think she was an amazing role model for women. Yeah, I love that. Okay, we started off strong. We started off with Joan Rivers, who okay. is your next, the next woman on your list. Okay, so I would have to go with Barbara Walters. Mm-hmm. Um, icon in my world of television news uh, in so many different ways. Uh, but I, you know, I think the number one thing that she's known for is just her style of interviewing. And she really, uh, she had the art of listening. And oftentimes television personalities are missing that quality because they prepare all their questions and they just want to hear themselves speak, to be honest with you. And I think what makes a television journalist the best around is one who stops and listens. And if you think about the way in which she conducted interviews, that's, that's what she did. And, and through that skill, she got people to tell her things that they didn't tell anyone else. Yeah. And, and I think for, for me in my life, you know, looking at her from afar and being so impressed and then to come like full circle and actually host the view with Barbara Walters is, you know, is just something that I could have never dreamed would have ever happened. And it just solidified everything that I had thought about her before. And I was still learning from her. I mean, I was still learning sitting next to her. And so she, I think, is just the quintessential interviewer of, of our time and especially for women. How do you, in your career, how have you sort of gleaned information about how to do your job better by watching someone else? Because I think this all the time, even in terms of podcast interviews, and I watch some of my favorite people interview and my favorite conversations feel, I grew up doing theater and in theater, there's this, this idea of yes and. Um, And I love interviewers that I feel like have a yes and quality, meaning they affirm what you just said and they want to add to it and they want to sort of take it to the next place. So I'm constantly trying to see how do people do that in the podcast space? But what does it look like for you in your career? If you're sitting with someone like Barbara and you're, you're watching her, are you taking, Oh, look how she, look how she did that thing. And how could I then do my version of this? Like, how do you learn? by watching. Yeah. So television is such a practical application. So when I started in the business, I mean, my God, I was supposed to be a classical violinist. That's what I was as a kid. 
I was, that was going to be my career. Then I was supposed to be a lawyer and then, and then I still want to be a lawyer, but I never, I never got there. I took the LSATs, but never got to law school. So I fell into to journalism kind of as a fluke. And then I really had to learn through practical application and watching other people because I hadn't really studied this in college. And, and whether or not you had studied the history of communication and all of that anyway, TV is just such a sink or swim kind of craft. So you learn as you go, which is why it's always a good idea to start out in a small market where you can make your mistakes and not ruin your career. Actually, what we've seen happen over time in TV is that like reality stars suddenly become national television hosts. And, and I just watch this from afar and I'm like, oh God, this is gonna be a bomb waiting to explode because they don't have the experience of coming up the ranks and making the mistakes when you can. And mm. so, you know, I think observation is something I've done my whole life, whether it was when I was playing the violin as a kid so seriously and I would watch my teacher do it and then I would do it or watch like a, a professor in school write out the problems on the board and then I would do it. That's how I've always learned. So maybe TV was a good craft for me and, and I spent hours studying people in the way in which they interviewed. If you go back and you look at Barbara Walters interviews, you will see that not much ever flustered her. I mean, she always got people to cry. Remember? Yes. They'd be like, I had... promised myself I wasn't going to do this. Yes. But she didn't cry. Right. It was, it was very interesting. And you don't necessarily remember her like being confrontational or having to get a word in like uh, you know other journalists she was perfectly fine sitting back and waiting for the person to tell her something that they had never said before and, and that's when you know that that the interviewer is actually really good because the person sitting across from them feels comfortable enough to tell them something or show emotion like they never have before. So I'm very much in, into watching, like I would watch her hands and where she would put them and they were never shaking. I mean, that's, so that's something you have to think about when you're on TV is your body language and your hands and are you fidgeting? Cause you would never want to give that aura of being uncomfortable over to the viewer. The whole essence of them wanting to watch you is that they feel like you're their friend. Right. And that you're totally comfortable. So there's a million ways in which you can learn through observation. And um, so I guess in a way, finding TV was a good thing for me because I had been doing it my whole life. That's so cool. I love, I love hearing how other people learn and take things in. And I think it's important too for, you know, for listeners or people who are, are, are checking this out because so often you see someone and you think, oh, she came into the world with this grace or she came into the world with this knowledge or this ability. And so you talk yourself out of trying anything because you don't think that you have natural talents and skills that would make you great. And the reality is that you have been working at this for so long. Any of us have been working at this craft and, and we'll continue to work at our own craft, you know, knock wood for as long as we have on this planet. It's really important for people to understand that like, no, no, we are also trying to learn and trying to get better and trying to improve. And hopefully if you see either of us, you know, a decade from now in our own ways, we will have, you know, gleaned some more information that we can take into the work. I mean, it's why professional golfers and baseball players and football players and that they're still taking lessons. It, it, you know, you think they're at the top of their game, but they, that's why they're continuing to improve their craft. And it's, it's also the same thing with you or with me, or if you sit back and think that you're really great at something, then you get lazy. 
So, right. you know, always important to be trying to up your game as I try to teach to my two teenage kids with their schoolwork. Right. And honestly, I, I would even say not just I tend to think in terms of business or the work that I'm doing, but I also think that this is true for life, for your personal life, your relationships, how you show up as a mom. It's like sports is such a good analogy. The greatest athletes in the world are still training. They're still Mm -hmm. being coached. They're still trying to get, they never presume that they figured it all out, even when they've reached the pinnacle. So it's like, why would you you know, you're a, a mom and you're, you have two toddlers and you're struggling and you feel overwhelmed and you get down on yourself for not having all the answers. Well, like, why, why would you have the answers? You're just at the very beginning of this process. And so there's right. a beauty in understanding that like you have this lifetime, we hope to keep showing up and keep trying to do your best. And there is always, no matter the category, there's always wisdom out there. There's always books that you can read. There's always information that you can find that will help you to get better in whatever way that it is you want to improve. So I love that. Yeah. My next one is she really broke barriers because she was the first African-American woman to uh, anchor a national newscast. And that's Carol Simpson. And it turns out that, that, I mean, I used to watch her and she had this very distinctive voice. She would be like, I'm Carol Simpson. And she was very authoritative. And you were just like, you like perked up and you were like, oh, I'm going to listen to her. And, and fast forward, you know, a gazillion years later, and her daughter, who was a doctor, Dr. Malika Marshall, worked with me at CBS News. And we did, uh, when I uh, hosted the Saturday early show for CBS, the morning show, she was the doctor that came on every week. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm looking right at Carol Simpson, because they looked <laughs> identical. And it was just so great to see her daughter also, you know, become a physician, but also have an interest in television and carry on her legacy. And and so I think, you know, as this pioneer in television that Carol was, also that she, you know, was a woman of color. And we've just seen that, actually I'm gonna give away my my other person when I say this, but we've just seen Kamala Harris, who's not really a person in in, um, television journalism, but certainly a person in media. We've seen her just break through a barrier as well. And I think that, seeing is believing is so important for our young girls. You know, if if you can't see it, then how can you see yourself doing that? And how can you possibly achieve it? So seeing Carol Simpson anchor a national newscast for tons of women of color that were in the world, you know, that gave them hope that they could, that they could do it as well. Absolutely. You know, I think beyond just what we see in media, I think it's also a responsibility that businesses have, that marketing has, that advertising has to make sure that there's representation in that as well. I mean, before COVID, we used to do these massive, um, like 5,000 women would come for a conference over multiple days. And one of the most important things to me was that if you were sitting in my audience, you could see yourself on stage. That, that we fought for the diversity of age, of size, of ethnicity of were you gay were you straight were you muslim were you christian were you differently abled to make sure that if someone is telling you like oh you can change your life and you can you know do these things how essential it is that it is happening in the voice of someone who represents uh your culture because i really do think you know you were talking about this idea of you wake up and you have the fire in your belly and you sort of are driven to like i'm going to go out and change the change the landscape that's here. 
but it is such an affirming thing if you can see yourself. I'm curious if when you were little, well, I guess you you didn't know that you wanted to be in the career that you're in, but how much that played a role for you, like you're you're listing some of these women that you thought, oh, I could, that's what it might look like for me mm-hmm. if I do this thing. Because I think in my world, I had the opposite. That's, some, that's why I'm so passionate about it is I never saw women on stage. I never, you know, I went to all the conferences, the business conferences, the personal development conferences, all men. And I just thought, uh, yes, I want to learn from these people and they have a ton of wisdom to share with me, but it is different. You know, I would, I would go and have little kids, you know, I'd I'd find like, okay, I'm going to go and do this thing for the weekend. And I'd go listen to these men and I'd be so inspired and they'd be like, you're going to go home. And on Monday morning, you're going to take on the world. And I'd be like, yeah, but I have school drop off, you know? (laughs) And so I really, I wanted, I couldn't find someone who was like me in the space. And so I finally, after complaining about that for years, I was like, well, maybe you're supposed to be that person. So I think that when you find a way, when you sort of find, you get your foothold in something that it's so important to turn around and go, okay, who, how, what else? Okay. Have this access. Who's the next person that needs to come up inside of this space, which I, you, I think have already said you're number five, but you know, well, the vice president elect is, no, no, no. I think now. she's my number, I think she's my number four. Oh, she's but, your number um, four. Okay. But I thought, yeah, I thought back to the ascending order. Okay, I, I just, I just think that, and I, listen, my whole message and everything I've been doing over the last four years to try and make the workplace safer for all women um, after my landmark harassment case against Roger Ailes at Fox News. Listen, it's about bringing all women together. It's about this unifying experience because unfortunately, like almost all of us have experienced being put down as a woman in some way, whether it was being harassed or gender discrimination or or not being paid fairly. And so I, I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna, but I really believe that we should come together and support a woman who's going to be the first Right. You know, female vice president of the United States yeah. of America, not to mention she's a woman of color and yeah. she's an immigrant, you know, from immigrant parents. So she's breaking all of these barriers and we, we're seeing her on our TV screen, you know, daily. And it really, it, it hurts me when I see people attack her. Now, you don't have to like her policies. I, I understand that. But I think we should lift up all women who achieve something incredible like that. And in fact, I wrote a New York Times op-ed maybe three or four years ago about how we weren't seeing that in America when Sarah Palin lost the vice presidency and when Hillary Clinton lost the presidency. You know, I actually equated it to the show on, um, I think it's on Netflix, The Crown, where, you know, Great Britain has actually elected female prime ministers. And why do I think that they've done that? I wrote that I thought it's because of the crown and seeing a queen who was in power and has been for so long. And even though her political powers no longer are what they were when she first was queen, the British people were used to seeing a woman who was center stage. Right. And, and therefore, they didn't, I believe, they didn't have a problem in electing, you know, two prime ministers, Margaret Thatcher and the more recent uh, woman that they had. So seeing is believing. 
And now that we have actually accomplished that in America, it would be my hope that we could come together and be unified, not over politics necessarily, but unified that we are going to support a woman who has done that because she is breaking barriers and leading the way for other women to do that. I'm curious if you feel, you know, this has been my conversation on a lot of podcasts lately because it, I I mean, I think it's so relevant with the world that we're living inside of, but everything does feel so divisive. So it is so divided to me. What I, it's just, I I understand that as a country, we're going to continue to evolve and change over time, but we've gotten out of this place of suddenly people aren't human anymore if they don't have your same political affiliation. And, you know, I grew up in a very homogenous, very conservative Republican environment. But even inside of that, you still like saw people at church on Sunday who didn't vote like you. And that, you know, it was very normal to have people in your life and respect them as people, even if you didn't, like you said, respect their policies or respect the way that they voted. And it just feels, this world that we're living inside of feels, it feels crazy. It it really feels crazy. And people are struggling with this inside of their own families, you know, inside of their own marriages, inside of their own relationships with their parents. I mean, one of the best things about growing up in my small little town in Minnesota with Swedish Swedish immigrants as my as my ancestors and my grandparents is that my grandfather who was a minister was a staunch Democrat and my grandmother was a staunch Republican. And I used to say to them as a kid, you realize your vote cancels each other out, right? And and they thought that that was cute, but the, the point was that they stayed married and they didn't fight and they didn't, and honestly, I never really heard them talking about politics. And now we've evolved into this completely hyper-partisan society where we can't even have a conversation about coming together at all. Right. And, you know, it's why I also started a podcast recently, but it's a news podcast and it's daily and it's only 10 minutes. And the whole genesis of it was that I wanted to provide the top eight to 10 headlines of the day, straight facts. Right. Because I had so many friends who came to me over the last four years, and they were like, what should I watch to just get the facts? What can yeah. I listen to? And I was like, eh. I mean, TV's become so opinionated. And so that was really the genesis of putting this podcast together. And, you know, hopefully I'm filling this filling this void because I really do believe it's so important to believe in unity. And, I, and I'm angry at people who are poo-pooing that right now because compromise shouldn't be a bad C word. It just shouldn't. And that's the only way we're going to get stuff done. Right. And, you know, so that's, that's my, my effort every day when I wake up is how do we unify this nation? Right. It, it is a, I do think that there's a lot of like, you said Pollyanna earlier, and that's definitely something that I get a moniker. <laughs> I get that <laughs> attached to me all the time because I really do believe in everybody should have a seat at the table. And I am incredibly liberal and very much a Democrat, but I I also love you if you're a Republican and we should be able to sit together and have a conversation about that. And if you're an independent and if you're a, I'm never going to understand someone else's perspective if I'm not willing to be in conversation with them. And it's very easy to see someone else as the enemy if you don't have anybody in your life that is that way because they're other, they're different. 
and you're sort of being fed all of this information. I, I mm. love that you're talking about the podcast and, and the telling the truth. I was doing an interview before this one and he was saying, you know, it's just people are seeing this stuff and they're not upset about it or they're not, they, they know what's true and they're not really reacting. And I was like, do they know what's true? You know, know. What I, it, it was very hard to know for sure. We assume that someone has all of the information and then they're not acting in the way that we would want them to act with that information. But I think until you have conversations and until you're um, able to come together, you really don't know what's going on in their life, why they believe what they believe. Oh man, I just, man, I miss the days when even if you didn't like the political party of who was president, you still were like, but that's our president, you know? Mm -hmm. And they got stuff and they got stuff done. I mean, one of my biggest, speaking of breaking barriers in the media, one of my biggest pieces of advice to people is to watch something you don't agree with at least once a week. People don't even do that anymore. We've gotten into this habit of only watching things that we already agree with. That's so real. That is so real. Have you seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix? No. Okay, so I feel like I need a dollar for everyone I'm telling to go watch this. You must watch it. I, I, you must. Everybody should, especially if you have teenagers. So it's a documentary, and what makes it so compelling is it's interviewing, like, the fourth employee at Facebook, the guy who invented the like button, the person who invented endless scroll. It's like the founders of social media who are now grappling with the fact that they have created Frankenstein. And it's explaining how social media works to manipulate the user. And it's exactly what you said. You're being served up what you already believe. So you don't know what the truth is and you're showing up. And by the way, if, if this serves me, what I already believe, then I'm more likely to open my phone and keep receiving information. If I'm seeing stuff I don't want to look at, then I'm not going to stay in their platform. Then they can't run ads against me. It will blow your mind, especially do you have a daughter or daughters? I have a daughter and a son. Yeah. Okay. So I have a, I have a daughter, she's three. And the conversation around social specifically as it pertains to girls, you know, Mm. um, self-harm in girls is, has risen by like 156%. The suicide rate of under 18 for girls and all of it can be attributed to 2011, which was when social media really began to explode. So it will freak you out but it's something I think everybody should watch. Yeah, it's, it's like having two teenage kids. Social media is not like a something that I love. I will say, though, that I always need to give a shout out to social media and the whole movement that I've been a part of in trying to end sexual harassment in the workplace because it really is what, it's really what catapulted the movement into a different stratosphere. And if we didn't have social media, so many women would not have had the courage to come forward and say me too, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, because social media gave them the opportunity to come forward either anonymously or to put their name and their face on it. And it really, I believe is one of the three major things that's kept the whole movement going. Uh, The second would be the media, speaking of the media, decided to start covering sexual harassment stories, which if I would have pitched a sexual harassment story, even just five years ago before my case, I would have been laughed out of the newsroom 
because nobody covered sexual harassment stories. I hate to say it. And then the, the third thing is just the American public was so pissed off. They, they started hearing these stories and they were like, what? Like this crap still going on in yeah. America? Yeah. I thought women, you know, I thought women had come so far. And, and so the reason though that they were blindsided is because all these stories have been shoved into secrecy, which is what I'm fighting. That's my whole other side of my life, aside from journalism, is my advocacy and now trying to make the workplaces safer for all women by getting rid of these secrecy ways in which we've been able to shove women out and never hear from them ever again. And so, you know, with non-disclosures or NDAs, or that's how American companies have been able to make it look like they don't have any issues. So, you know, coming back full circle to social media, as much as I hate it for my teenage kids, it's, it's been really essential in, in this whole movement and making people feel like they were not alone. Totally. And I think that it has incredible parts of it, the, the ability to connect, the ability to find other people like you. There are a million things that are great about it. But I think the piece to hold on to for us when it comes to this idea of this nation divided, and I'm saying this for listeners um, as much as I'm saying it for myself, is the reminder that that avatar on Instagram is not a person. Like it's, it, there's too many factors there. There's the anonymity of being able to say whatever you want to say. There's trolls, there's bots, there's so many things. And if you start believing that your friends and neighbors and your fellow man and your fellow American is the person inside of your Instagram comments or is the person in Facebook and you're unwilling to be in real life face-to-face conversation with someone because of what you're seeing on social, that's to me where it gets so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's promulgating the division in our nation right now. Absolutely. You know, so my advice is, I mean, my gosh, just listen to five minutes of something you don't agree with. Watch something for five minutes. We used to do this, America. We used to do it. And, you know, if we, if we want to have any hope for our children's generation to, to come back together, um, the time, I, I hope the time is now. My, my fifth person is, I'm going to bring it back to, to comedy, is Carol Burnett. Oh, I love Carol Burnett. I, know, I, I love know. Carol Burnett. So, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll show my generation here my age, but I, I wa- we watched her religiously growing up and, and talk about being an icon in the world of having your own show and being a female comedian and being in charge of all those other people and just being brilliant at, at what she did and understanding, speaking of going out into the audience and, you know, understanding, remember how she would open the show and she, her whole audience would be there and she'd take questions. I mean, she was so real and she just brought joy, I think, to so many people, still does, so many people's lives. Um, she's a genius, just a genius as far as her, her comedy. And she brought me great joy. And, and, you know, a lot of my life was spent practicing the violin for hours on end studying, trying to become the best I could possibly become in in television. And I think it's always important to remember that you need levity in your life and you need an escape. And as a kid, she provided that for me. Um, Come full circle when, I guess my husband asked me on maybe our 15th anniversary, he's like, well, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know, I don't need anything. And then I was like, you know what? I'd really like all of the Carol Burnett shows 
and he got he got them for me and so I could you know I was watching all of the Carol Burnett shows and and it was just a good release um, to not always be so focused on trying to do the next thing and then last year when I was at the Golden Globes there were so many people that you know were, were famous and I was like what am I doing here but anyway I was walking the red carpet because there you know there had been a movie made about my story which of course I could not participate in at all because of the NDA that I had to sign. So I couldn't even meet with the actresses or anything to let them know whether or not the story was true or I can't even, I can't even tell you today, Rachel, whether or not the depiction of me was accurate. This is how stringent the, the NDAs are. But I, I went to the, to the Golden Globes and Carol Burnett was, you know, a couple people in front of me and I had that, even at my age, I had this pounding feeling in my heart, like, oh, I want to go up to her, but I'm scared, you know? And I preached to so many people, like, you have to take risks. That's how you get ahead in life. And once you do one little step forward, you realize that, and you survive, you realize the next time that it'll be easier and you can continue to do that, especially for young girls, because we socialize our young girls to color inside the lines and not do anything out of the box. And so consequently, women take less risks than men. And so here I was feeling that same heart palpitation. And I was like, should I go up to her? Should I not? You know, we, we all go through those feelings of like, we don't want to be denied. We don't want to be like, oh, who are you? And, and we don't want to raise our hand in class. We don't want to sit in the front row as women. And we need to do that. So I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm preaching this stuff, then I've, I've got to go out there and, and do it. And so I went up to her and I put out my hand and I said, Carol, I said, my name is is Gretchen Carlson and I've been wanting to meet you you my whole life. And she looked at me and she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to meet you. (laughs) I know. And I was like, what? And and I was back to being that little girl and, and feeling like this is the person I saw on the screen who made me feel like she was pulling her ear for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's who she was. And it made me, I, I was, I felt so silly in the moment of like, why was I nervous to go up to her? And it's a great life lesson about no matter who you are or what you've achieved or where you're going next, that you still get nervous for certain things like this. And it's really important to tell others that you do because that makes you feel real to other people and it makes them know that they can do it too. And to get that kind of reaction was just, you know, icing, icing on the cake. And so, you know, I admire her even more now because in person, she was the person that I thought that, that she was. And on top of that, she's funny as hell. So yeah. So she's, she's again, I didn't, I didn't rank them, but I don't know. She might be, she might be she at, might at the top. top. She might be at the top, yeah. I think that there's something really cool about the fact that you are intentionally choosing sort of those heroes that have come along before and that you're identifying those women because I think that you represent that for so many women who are coming up today. And it's really cool to see you talk about what that looks like for you. And, and also, I think, sort of walking through how then the things that they are doing or the ways that they were inspiring affect your life and your work. So I so appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me and share those stories and give us your top five. 
I want to ask, are you promoting something specific? Are you just sort of general, here's where we follow you, here's where we do the things? I'm doing so many things. My husband says to me now, like, how are you more busy now than, right, you than before? A live, you know, national cable news show every day. And I'm like, because I'm trying to solve the world. Right. <laughs> I was talking about my podcast. It's on quakemedia.com. I just started that. I'm a special contributor to the new People Magazine TV show. Um, so I'm, you know, back doing doing television and then new to podcasting. I have my nonprofit, liftourvoices.org, which is sort of the umbrella organization where I'm housing all of my advocacy work, whether it's trying to pass bills or, you know, take away these silencing mechanisms for women. And so I'm, I'm wearing a lot of hats, but I think at the at the center of it, it's that I'm working on behalf of all women um, because I have... I may have had the platform and the resources that many women don't. Mm. And, and I realize that this problem that I'm trying to solve is a pervasive epidemic. And, and I could have just gone home after my story. A lot of people said, well, why don't you just go back and spend more time with your kids and relax? And I was like, well, that's not really me. And if there's ever been a constant in my life, it's, it's been that I go for a challenge that's in front of me. And I can thank my Midwestern upbringing for that you know, the Protestant work ethic. And, and so I decided that I was going to try and tackle this and, and change the American workplace landscape. And so I'm still doing my passion in television and I'm new to podcasting, but really people who know me really well say, this is what you were supposed to be doing your whole life, meaning making the world a better place for women. And if we can unify everyone at the same time, then we would kill two birds with one stone. And, and then I would be forever happy and, and grateful. But this will be, of, of everything I've done in my life, solving this problem and, and making workplaces safer for generations to come, that will be my greatest achievement in my life. Gretchen, thank you so much for hanging out today. And thank you yeah. for sharing that vision. Because I think there's power in calling that shot. There's incredible power in naming a big monster of a problem and letting people know that you're actively working to try and make it better. I'm grateful for the time. I know you don't love social media, but are you on it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, no, no. so where I, can I, people find Yeah, it? no, I, I have to be. And everything is just at Gretchen Carlson, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook. So I, I yes, definitely, I, I am on it. Listen, we, we, I said I just didn't like it for my teenage kids. Right, you're right, you're right. But 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 uh, we we need it to um, keep this movement alive and and also just you know to keep all of our messaging out there, right? Your faves faves is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller, with production support from Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Your Faves Faves is a 3% chance production.